Ads or in-app purchasing? Ads, obviously. Game Boy or Xbox? Xbox. Instagram or Snapchat? Snapchat. You're listening to Iron Source Level Up with guest host Mishka Katkov. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Level Up, the podcast for people who love making, growing, and of course, playing mobile games. We're excited to have Mishka Katkov guest host our next few episodes. Hey, thank you for having me. Mishka is head of studio at Rovio and the founder of gaming blog Deconstructor of Fun. Today on the show, we have Ryan Davis, digital marketing manager at Quali, the hit hypercasual gaming studio. Hello, how's it going? Mishka, I'll give the floor over to you. Thank you for a very kind introduction once again. But Ryan, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, so my background in some ways is short, (laughs) which kind of makes it a little bit interesting. So I've only been in mobile and within mobile games specifically for about a year and a half like Quali was essentially my first role started as a junior and kind of warmed into it pretty nicely and now run the marketing team for the company so yeah it's a short background like I said now basically I run the different elements of the marketing team in Quali so a year and a half and you're running a really successful game team well, yeah, or I'm not running game a company. company no game company is a UA team <laughs> yeah yeah let's that's, go with that that's pretty great so how did you get into gaming and more like have you been a gamer before that yeah so I guess seemingly the vast majority of people in games is that the upside is that it all starts with a passion for games and still have a deathly girlfriend abusing passion for, for games <laughs> I'm sure she gets frustrated about things like me playing so I still love console PC and mobile across everything and that original passion is then what grew into me just getting in the industry and finding my own kind of place in it so how come you went to user acquisition instead of design which is more traditional I guess that the longest story is that I have a university background in journalism so writing and that kind of stuff is where I was originally leaning the other side of the coin is marketing really and you know there's better opportunities in that area in many ways financially and pretty much everything else so that's the direction that I went in and in some ways journalism and and marketing are very similar you know what I said about them being other sides of the same coin is so true that marketing and journalism they're still talking about and promoting and experiencing other people's creations I think that's why I kind of lean towards it and what I enjoy about it is pushing other people's great ideas and concepts and showing them to the world and that's still what's fun about it really it's awesome that was a bit too much of a philosophical no that that was that was very different approach user acquisition because normally you would have people who are more from an analytical background yeah, right. and journalism is definitely a different background <laughs> to do yeah, performance marketing exactly sometimes i think that the data heavy side is obviously so important and so relevant especially as my job has evolved and changed but having that kind of fundamental understanding of players and users is still quite helpful to kind mm-hmm. of make it all a bit more real and not just like numbers on a screen i think that helps having that kind of background for sure and probably helps it with leading a team, right? That too, yeah, definitely. How big is the team? So the company as a whole is about 30 people. Mm-hmm. And then marketing is basically three, four, you could say. It's small within that, but obviously an important part. Super um, important. So let's talk more about Quali. First of all, where did that name come from? <laughs> yeah, our company was founded by David Darling, who those in the console area will probably recognize the name. He's like one of the co-founders of Codemasters. And basically the name comes from his father's boat, which which was in Australia. So it's kind of like an Aboriginal background kind of name. So it's kind of a weird one. People don't usually assume that we're from the UK based on the name. Yes. It certainly doesn't sound like Oh, it. how long has Quali been? So the company actually has been running since 2011, so mm-hmm. seven years. A lot of it was improvement and growth and changing and learning how to adapt to the, the mobile market. And I think like in the last year and a half, it's kind of been a big change for us in growth towards hypercasual. And that's something where we found our niche and something that we found that works. And now you only do hypercasual. Yeah, so... The funny thing is that really a year and a half ago when we started this, hypercasual wasn't defined 
as a thing, mad in a way that really wasn't defined even maybe six months ago. That was about when I first started hearing it. So we really started our journey on Hypercasual before it was a mm-hmm. thing, which makes sense because that partially explains why we're now one of the bigger players in the area. Now, basically, our whole business is modeled and geared towards making Hypercasual games. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely a focus. But at the same time, there's certainly an interest of how that can evolve. And I think we've definitely noticed that to a degree. We are making Hypercasual games, but at the same time, we're definitely starting to implement elements from other verticals and other types of games kind of evolving the genre a bit so idle games and things like that is a good example so as much as we are hyper casual we're definitely learning from and and evolving that's awesome so you have about 10 games in your portfolio right now yeah about that total say like three have been big hits for us that have gone really well like five or six that have been strong i guess the thing with hyper casual is that you got to try a lot and you got to give it a go and don't be afraid to fail that is uh, very much the mentality and it's the mentality that we knew we'd need at the beginning and we've stuck through the whole time sometimes it can be brutal when you have (laughs) cherished loved ideas and I'm, I'm sure like every mobile game developer and publisher kind of goes through that to be fair i look at companies like rovio or supercell or something who soft launch a game for a couple years and then ditch it that probably does hurt a bit more i could see that whereas at least for us it's like a game maybe we spent a few weeks on and even that hurts yeah <laughs> when it's something you really love so i can't even imagine for the big games that sounds terrifying <laughs> <laughs> to make them for a long time and see them fail in soft launch yeah exactly. yes it, it is <laughs> it, it is it's a wasted years only it's okay yeah but <laughs> But, but I guess you, you get learning from it and in the same way for us failing is so critical Yeah, <laughs> it's such a cliche but yeah, I think it's always so true you know that's a really important part of the process and I think it's very true for hypercasual because you're dealing with such a fast rate of content mm. and, and things coming out that you got to fail to learn so let's talk about failures and learnings then on average like how many games are you releasing to soft launch and how many of them are working like what is the your hit to miss ratio because naturally when we're talking about other type of games the development times are between year and two yep. you don't want to bail on them right away in the soft launch no, when the first metrics come I in bet. sometimes you need to but, <laughs> but, but to. yeah but often you're trying to you know make it happen the development times are between what two to four weeks for a game much easier to bail yeah so because everything we produce is internally developed within our team rather than publishing external games I think that might actually be a little less than mm-hmm. some of the other hyper casual guys but I think also it gives us a chance to curate but also testing that volume gives us great visibility of what's working what's not working within mm-hmm. the industry so regarding that you have games that are unique in terms of how they look and how they play there's mm-hmm. the um, I'm really bad with names there's the fishing game yeah go fish go fish <laughs> I should have remembered that <laughs> it wasn't too complicated I guess <laughs> yeah. because, but there's so many of the similar types yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and then there's Ball Blast, right? Yeah, Ball Blast, uh, Plank and Looper and yeah. other Tens, builds. So, the, so, the, so they're all it. kind of different. And how yeah. does the user acquisition varies between those type of different games? The key thing that varies is really how things play out. You know, hypercasual can be a little bit more difficult to predict. And sometimes you've just got to be highly reactionary. You know, the good thing about doing user acquisition for hypercasual is that you can see results very quickly and you know very quickly whether something's working or not. And that means you can adapt very quickly. And I know that IP-focused games are becoming seemingly better and better at doing a similar thing of kind of reacting quickly or trying to. But, you know, we don't aim to get our money back in like nine months or 12 months or whatever that makes me want to throw up so yeah we market our games differently because market conditions can be so volatile and so changing that you really have to be like quick on your feet basically and try to adapt as fast as possible so as much as it is about the game and and like what type of game it is and how that adapts your creative and things like that it is just as much about 
the marketplace and how you react to it. So about the volumes, like what kind of volumes are we talking about on a monthly basis? I find it's an interesting question because I never think of things in monthly ways. <laughs> in hypercasual land, it's too easy to think about things in daily terms. Yeah. Well, because let's talk daily everything then. Everything changes like, like <laughs> or hourly. So yeah, hourly. So that's like, well, yeah, so all I have I like to think of numbers. But I guess the thing is, the numbers basically are massive, like half a million in stores a day, like leaning Damn. towards that kind of thing. Massive numbers, definitely. And in key territories, I think there's a slight misconception that hypercasual is just spreading in loads of like small country or like no. lots of tier threes and things like that. But obviously it's massively dominant in tier one. And of course. that is uh, certainly where we focus. Yeah, because that's where the ad revenue is. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And, and the good thing about hypercasual as well is that I think for some people say APAC is a hard market to enter, mm. but it's, it's much easier for hypercasual because there's a lot less localization, there's a lot less thought and effort that has to go into it. So that makes it easier to kind of spread your wings and kind of increase your volumes, basically. Oh, got it. And the CPIs are naturally very low. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, the ad revenue is also probably pretty low. Yeah, I mean, people keep talking about what hypercasual actually is, <laughs> which is like a really fair question that I think maybe even us and other hypercasual guys haven't even totally been able to define yeah. completely yet. Like, I find it's more defined at the moment by the companies who are doing it. But basically linking it to the CPI and LTV, kind of element one thing i would almost say is that anything below a dollar acquisition or below a dollar ltv is getting towards hyper casual territory yeah. me being only a year and a half experience in some ways hyper casual is like everything i've known <laughs> but yeah i think you know people were surprised people didn't think that ad revenue could be a sustainable way of running games because of those low ltvs that mm -hmm. are compared to an iop game are definitely still true but obviously it's just that highly effective marketing and kind of gearing your games towards being good for marketing and the low cpi does it come from just the extreme accessibility of the game yeah i think that is basically a, it's such a creative and an ipm game i think i source would be happy to say to say ipm <laughs> it installs per thousand impressions it's how many people are going to install based on the creative they're seeing and i think mm -hmm. that really is just defined by you can gear the creative how you want we can experiment with different creatives and we sure as hell do but it's about how easily people can understand the game when they first see it voodoo i've said it before and it's true is that something snackable understandable enough youtubable seeing yourself playing it understanding it relating to it and that is the crux of what makes it work from a marketing perspective i think yeah yeah and, and there's sometimes a misconception in the sense that most of the traffic is organic or that mm. that it's it's coming in from others but no it's it's user acquisition yeah yep. just like it's, another it's definitely the grunt and like in, in some ways the hyper casual has kind of evolved i mean the point where it started being defined as this is hyper casual was the point where people started to rely on really strong user acquisition and like high spend and just really pumping in users but also organics is also an important part there's obviously a benefit to being up at the top of the chart so that means that you're also kind of working for organics and k-factor mm. that's an important part of the puzzle as well so what are the sort of like important user acquisition metrics when understanding these hyper casual or arcade games i guess what i said which is ipm ipm and ipm and IPM. <laughs> so much of what we do is defined by the quality of the creative and the effectiveness of the creative right at the beginning. And, you know, we can adapt it how we want, but the game kind of defines that quality. Obviously, we behave like a normal UA department in that we look at our LTVs and our CPIs and our ROAS and everything else. But really, that kind of like creative effectiveness is the most important element. And it's definitely what we focus on. And I know every other hyper casual focuses on <laughs> it's like everyone probably focuses on creative effectiveness, but maybe it's even more at the forefront or like the first 
best step for hyper casual. Yeah, understand. How about cross promotion? Uh, I mean, playing your game, you didn't have as prominent cross promotion yeah. space. Do you use the ad inventory for your own so, games? Or? Yeah, so I guess it's kind of interesting because we at Quali maybe don't implement it as much as some others. Like basically, we in the game have ambient ads where we cross promote our games. So that would be like on the menu screens and things like that, or like within the game, it would be like a small square that with a video playing, and that's kind of encouraging people to play. So that provides like a good throughput for cross promotion and definitely gives us stuff that we're pretty happy with that doesn't diminish returns in certain games and obviously we kind of set it up so that we're pushing into the main games that we want to be focusing on we do a little bit here and there so we, you know we recently started running iron source cross promotion but that's relatively small in comparison to like our standard ua behavior mm. basically because of catch app i think that there's the concept that cross promotion is like a massive part of mm -hmm. the puzzle for low to hyper casuals but i don't think that's necessarily true in, in every case and even in the most extreme case being voodoo i think that even those guys are still focusing more on user acquisition mm, of course the grunt and the power that you get from that whereas cross promo can be more of just like a, a bonus you know so this is sort of how we look at it at the moment okay but that doesn't mean it won't change got it so, <laughs> so what you're not doing is because sometimes like especially when we're talking about casual game developers or yeah. puzzle games or so forth that have many similar type of games they would bundle those kind of together to a one specific ltv right that is the uh, the portfolio ltv so that allows you to go after higher cpis yeah that makes sense yeah no we definitely don't do that right now uh -huh. and like what i think is um sometimes interesting about hyper casual is that the models can be very simple and just the methods behind the marketing can be very very simple and there was a time where i thought that because of that i was doing it wrong or not well enough and was kind of like embarrassed about like how simple uh, techniques were and stuff you know it's just like what's the cpi what's the ltv can we acquire that level yeah. but the more and more kind of went on the more i realized that really it's a method that just works very well for mm. this vertical uh, i mean that doesn't mean that there aren't new methods coming you know there's always room for things to improve as we start to learn more about the users that we have in our games and how we're making money through ads. That definitely is different because of the fact that because your payback times are so short, mm -hmm. you can be much more reactive. But when they're yeah. longer and the investments are much larger, then you're investing more time in analyzing yeah. and trying to grow your UA budget yeah. with whatever new new formulas you can find. I can definitely see yeah, how different it could be. So can you talk about what you discovered by using Iron Source as an ad revenue tool? So over the past few months in particular, Iron Source has really adapted to the ad monetization landscape and to the hyper casual landscape definitely in some ways more than most other companies have seen um, and that basically means producing or creating tech that deals with the difficulties that we face you know like what I was talking about in terms of our methods being somewhat simplistic is kind of helping us evolve those and mm. develop those so they're a bit less simplistic for instance having access to user level ad revenue data stuff like that is crucial because for IAP games you totally become accustomed to and accept the fact that you have access to exactly how much money a user is making making for you you know they're buying something they're making a purchase it's really easy to track mm. or at least it is after years of development and tech development whereas obviously for ad revenue games that's a much more complicated beast the methods that we've used in the past and that a lot of people still use are not perfect by any stretch of the imagination it's like how many impressions are people mm. getting therefore this is how much revenue they're driving you that's not realistic that's not how revenue works so you know like iron source basically bringing out tools that let us see user level rise data so actual numbers on cpms 
that individual people are bringing us and contributing to our revenue. That stuff's very important. So I have to ask about this user level ad revenue data. <laughs> I'm from the studio side. So this is a different type of metric that I have never seen before, to be honest. Yep. What does it mean? I understand that it's a challenge measuring that user level ad revenue data. Yep. So rather than previously just knowing the impressions that your users are seeing and then sort of semi-randomly assigning revenue to them based on those impressions, like I said, that's not really how revenue is actually distributed. Like people are of different quality in the same way of, you know, like whales, there's ad whales as well. Although that's like a, a long, that's another long <laughs> topic that gets discussed a lot and people never have a totally great solution and answer to what it actually means. So it's kind of the beginning or even like a very, very strong step towards better understanding things like ad whales or like in the same way an IP developer or publisher will look at which sources are bringing me better quality users, which ones are driving me my whales and things. We can now start to drill down at a much better level and look at the source level and say which ones are driving us the better quality users, which, you know, for many developers and publishers, that's probably like an obvious yeah. thing. <laughs> but for us, you know, it, only semi-recently that become like a much easier thing and much more reliable thing because before we could do that, you know, you could drill down, but how reliable it was is tetchy at best, hence why you lean towards the more simplistic mm -hmm. methods. But now it's just like so much better reliable data. So the key for me now that that data is starting to be shared and starting to have access is implementing it completely and effectively with our tools and mm. the methods that we actually use. That's kind of the next step, really. So let's talk about monetization because that's, you know, that's the end of all. And especially the monetization loop between UA and monetization. So the first question is, uh, there's kind of two parts here that I'm interested in. Hey, is the first one is like, do you run live operations? Is there like a team that is running on it? Or do you just complete the game and it's basically in the hands of ad monetization and UA? No, so we do run live ops in a real sense. We try to meet every morning and it doesn't always pan out, but we do run live ops. And I think that in our case, there's a few examples of hyper casual game devs who do come back to their titles and keep pushing them and, and working on them and improving them. And we're kind of in that category. A good example is our game Plank. We released that like four months ago, but then a few weeks ago, we launched an augmented reality mode within Plank mm -hmm. that got featured really nicely by Apple. So it's like, you know, how can we continue to evolve our games? You know, we're not shy for doing that because I think that other guys out there and including like Pagendary, a good example of guys who can make some changes to their games and re-push it. So we're definitely not afraid of doing that. And, you know, it's definitely not a case of just releasing game, forgetting about it from the dev side. I mean, at the very least, our developers are incredibly interested to see how it performs and to see how it does. People like to be involved and like to understand what's happening. It means that people aren't just like pushing a game out and then just leaving it with marketing and yeah. hoping for the best. Definitely has more of a group effort feel for sure. When you give things another push, is it from a design perspective, keeping in hyper casual or would you say, okay, now we feel we can add an IAP element to it? Good question. I guess it's a variety of things, but I think that it's driven by developers and designers constant desire and need to improve and having ideas and kind of wanting to implement those into the game and seeing the potential for that to increase revenues and increase engagement. And I think that in some ways it's, it's just as much driven by that desire by the developers to want to actually improve the games and to kind of find new ways to monetize and improve it. And so it starts with them and then it's something that we are looking for is it a game that we can kind of repush and then it evolves into like a fully formed idea. So it often starts at grassroots development level. So with the monetization loop, when do you think about the monetization or closing of the user acquisition slash monetization? Uh, when do we think about it? Um, All the time. <laughs> almost right from the beginning. I think definitely we, we start to kind of realize more and more better methods for, for monetizing, better ways to be displaying ads, to be using ads, and at the same time, how to kind of get the most out of different types 
types of games you know you kind of mentioned earlier about hyper casual portfolio can be incredibly varied and across you know, from fishing to puzzly music games and things like that it requires different ways to think about your monetization with different ways to implement ads so yeah we're, we're thinking about it very early from a design side and then that kind of cross references then to us actually running the games and keeping the monetization strong there's a hell of a lot that goes into that outside of just game development but yeah it is crucial and very early part of the process for mm-hmm. us so um, automation has changed the UI a lot. Mm. So how does it affect it in your work? So IronSource at the moment is our first real proper foray into automation. And it's something that we are planning on expanding pretty rapidly in our business. With IronSource being the specific example, the tool now on IronSource is that you can just set a ROAS target uh, and let the system automatically bid and aim for that ROAS target, which so far for us has worked brilliantly. It's the kind of thing now of just wanting to use it for everything. Because like I said, we're three people marketing team or less. <laughs> three or four uh, and that's including like creative as well mm-hmm. and, and like non-UA people and so it becomes quite good and helpful to have like an automated system that runs itself yeah. <laughs> and it wins out in a lot of cases and that's basically the crux of a system why it works so well the logic behind it is not new or surprising you know it's, it's what I do day to day as a UA manager so it's just kind of putting that to practice but just making the process easier mm-hmm. and letting us kind of hands off and kind of just see it from afar it has new challenges as well you know setting those ROAS targets isn't always easy and like I said, we have to be super adaptable. So in some ways, we still have to be looking and, and changing things quickly. But if changing one number equals changing like a thousand campaigns at once, then that's a much easier process for us. So that leaves more time for creative soft launches, right? I guess creative soft launch is definitely something that we kind of picked up through IronSource. It's a soft launch, but from marketing side, you're focusing on how the creative performs and finding the best performing ads and having lots of content ready and testing it and, and only going live with like the best performing content, which again is not a new thing so, so you're testing them in specific market or the game is out globally already at that point yeah usually it's a specific markets like early on when we go big we go global then but usually in a similar way to an IP game it's the usual kind of tier ones or, or tier threes depending on what you're testing it's a similar deal for us basically yeah perfect I learned a ton <laughs> what's your personal favorite hyper casual game good question <laughs> well my favorite is looper is it unfair to just pick one of your own games but it's definitely true I guess I probably would have got a slap if I'd gone back to the office and said and it was like a voodoo game yeah. but basically uh, yeah Looper for me is my favorite because for me it's an incredibly inventive design um, you know I definitely recommend go play it because it's kind of a, a really nice combination of playing an old school rhythm game mixed with music elements and hyper casual can be a lot of games very similar and work on trends and things like that but I think that in particular is a game that straight away I was just like that that's going to work like, <laughs> I, I could see the adverts we were going to make already <laughs> <laughs> so that's definitely my favorite one yeah okay I'll download <laughs> Looper. Cool. Good. All right. That's at least one organic for the day. So <laughs> two. Two. <laughs> oh, okay. Cool. Two. Oh. <laughs> <Doing my job. laughs> Saving your money. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Mishka. Thank you. Thank you. It's been really, really fun. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. Hope to see you all next episode. Quali. 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 You're like Quali, right? Quali. Is it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>